Mahomes at bay. The Tampa Bay Bucks, Super Bowl 55. Hello and welcome to the Bucks Banter Podcast. Big news going on in Bucks Nation. Uh, I'm ecstatic. I think most Buccaneers, I know all Buccaneers fans are ecstatic because Tom Brady is back. He's not back with the 49ers. He's not busy filming documentaries or movies. He is back and committed to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for at least one more season. He announced this on his Twitter and Instagram a matter of hours before free agency was to commence. So, Obviously, you know, he took it to the wire in terms of what he needed to do for Jason Light and the Buccaneers to be in a position to um, make their decisions, personnel decisions accordingly. And obviously, they had been in discussions with Brady for a few days. Scott, this is big, big news, not just for the Bucs, but in the NFL. I mean, the NFC obviously is a little bit ripe for the taking with all, all this talent, especially at the quarterback position over in the AFC pretty incredible my dude unbelievable and just for the bucks for bucks fans everywhere i mean it's like it's like life you know spring is coming the days are a little bit longer and tom brady is back on the sideline right it's just uh just incredible i mean you know the guy did retire he retired uh what a month and a half ago and now he's just now it's just back. okay yeah no just a uh, little sabbatical take his time off and uh and he's the Bucs quarterback again, and then they're an NFC favorite, the runaway favorite in, in their division. And, um, you know, I think some Bucks fans were talking themselves into still a solid roster. And, uh, we'll, you know, we trust them to figure out the quarterback position with, with kind of whoever they have. And now, okay, yeah, no, no, we're good. Front running is too much fun. Now we have Brady, and let's go. Let's go do it again. And how about doing it? I don't know. I can't remember the exact time, but either during or just after Selection Sunday, you know, like talk about one of the sporting events on the calendar that really takes up an entire day or, or longer, right? Like the Saturday leading up all of Sunday and then Sunday night into Monday, the, the discourse after the bracket gets revealed. And Brady's retirement obviously didn't trump it, but it really muted it, which is saying something for one guy to come back to uh, to do that versus um, just such a hefty event on the calendar. So wild, just a wild Sunday night. Yeah, and like, I don't know, man, like even within the scope of NFL free agency, like the eve of that, you know, it just completely stole the show. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, people weren't viewing the bucket. Like, let's be real here. If Brady wasn't back with the, with the status of, what's available at the quarterback position. I mean, um, the Buccaneers were not realistically going to be contenders this year. I mean, they yeah. they could have had a competitive team, especially being in the NFC South. Yep. Um, but they weren't going to have a run or have a go at a Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, they are absolutely in that conversation. Not only is Brady, like, coming back, like, you know, like Moses, as people have said, 40 days in the desert, he comes yeah. back. Um, who knows what kind of shit he saw in that 40 days. A lot. A lot. I, I think he saw a lot of kids running around and thought, yeah, get me back to 40 days on the on the football field. So yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, the obvious thing I was thinking after all the dust had settled, not like it even has yet, but 
um, is the Ali Marpet situation. Like Ali Marpet, um, you know, and announcing his retirement officially, that doesn't sound like uh, there's going to be any changing his his mind in that regard. So I wonder if Brady hadn't done it yet, if he was still there, if Marpet would have been like. Maybe just take the Brady win. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I know you're a lunatic and you're thinking about uh, you, your mind goes to Ali Marpet and thinking, about, okay, like, look, he's going to be able to protect Brady. This, this is going to bring him back. I think you would have taken the Brady coming back in the Marpet retirement, you know? So, you know, walk before we run here. I'd play, I'd play Ryan suck up at left guard for the year. <laughs> if it meant we had Brady, I would be willing to like, dude, yeah. I would be willing to sacrifice him. Um, Underrated suck up. A total gamer. I could see him putting on the 180 pounds necessary to play that position and, and just doing it. Um, but I know what you mean. I know what you're speaking to. It's just like, okay, yeah, we lost more pet too. But then all of a sudden you get Brady and it's like wheels are wheels are in motion. All right, what can we do? What's the what's the whole roster gonna look like? And then obviously we're gonna get into the other signings and everything, but um, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Now, we have a special guest this evening, one of our favorite guests. I think he was our first guest ever on the Bucks Banter podcast. Um, bringing in Evan Winter from A to Z Sports. Evan, my dude, how are you? What's up, guys? Hope y'all are doing well. Hell of a 24 hours, right? Yeah. You've been busy, eh? You've been very busy, I'm sure. Oh, just a little bit. I'm pretty sure I blacked out for like 12 hours today. But, you know, that's just part of the deal. Yeah. No kidding, man. Evan, how's it going, man? It's going well. It's good to see y'all. I hope good everything's going well on y'all's end as well. Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, and before we get into some of the football talk, so I'm glad you're here right off the top because we haven't even discussed, you know, anything outside, just a little bit about Brady here. But um, so, Evan, you know, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, got to start at Bucks Report. And then you were with uh, Sports Illustrated, SI Now. And now you have a new opportunity. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, Evan. Yeah, so I'm actually managing editor over at a to z sports.com. It's a Nashville based website. Obviously, for those who don't know, I despite me covering the Bucks, I live in Nashville. Um, and yeah, essentially what we're doing right now is we have the Titans, the Vols, and the Preds. Um, we have Kansas City and Dallas in regards to NFL coverage. We also have the Mavericks in terms of NBA coverage. Oh, but then wow. as recently as last week, uh, we expanded to Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, Chicago, Green Bay, and Kansas City. So now we have seven or sorry, eight. I'm not good at math, um, but we have eight full NFL teams under our belt. I'm watching over the five newest ones with a little bit of mix in here and there at Dallas. And then hopefully the goal is one day to expand to all 32 teams. So it's and well, not to hopefully that is the goal. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun right now, and doing this full-time has been my dream for the last 10 years, and it's it's awesome to finally be doing it. Well, dude, congratulations, first of all. I mean, to get that full-time, like, going and just knowing that you're you're rocking and rolling here, like, awesome. And, uh, yeah, we're happy for you. Just, yeah, quick, I just want to ask you a quick – so what's the, what have these 24 hours been like for you then? So, what, like, <laughs> take us through what's actually gone down on your end. So a lot of research, a lot of writing, um, a lot of crunching numbers, even though I obviously just messed up, you know, basic math right then and there. I promise I can. My my 40 hour week job before doing this mainly involved numbers. So I'm not that bad at math but either way. Either way. Um, I mean, it's been wild, man. I mean, once the news broke that Brady was coming back yesterday, it's just been nothing but an uphill climb 
but at the same time, it doesn't feel like work. You know, I'm, I'm sitting around looking up stats, writing stuff all day long, yeah. um, trying okay. to, you know, piece the pu- or yeah, put the puzzle together. And uh, it's, it's been a wild 24 hours though. But in terms of like outside of me, in terms of public perception, all that good stuff. I mean, I, you know, I tweeted this a little while ago, probably about an hour and a half, two hours ago. But I honestly feel this way. I don't think I've seen such a dramatic shift like a team rising from the depths like I've seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers rise over the last 24 hours. We went to no offensive interior line, no quarterback, no starting corner, or rather I should say no number one corner. Um, Just all these questions all of a sudden to, hey, Tom Brady's back, Brian Jensen's back, Carlton Davis is back. You know, so it's, it's just absolutely wild, man. It's wild. And just to detail that uh, for anyone who maybe isn't aware, even though I'm sure everyone is, Ryan Jensen, you know, wasn't long. By the time I woke up this morning, Ryan Jensen, it was announced last night that uh, he's re-signed, re-up for three years, $13 million a year. Um, Alex Kappa is, as Bill Belichick has so famously stated, on to Cincinnati. Um, <laughs> he, got a, he got a good deal there. I think that was not surprising to anyone, uh, even though word is – that uh, Brady made a last second pitch to him, but I think the uh, the ink had all but dried on that one. And just within a matter of what, like an hour or two ago, Carlton Davis signs for three years, $45 million to stay in Tampa Bay. I found that one, Evan, a little more kind of out of nowhere. I think people were, were preparing themselves for this year to be without Carlton Davis. Um, I mean, I'm pleased. I'm real happy with the numbers there. Um, it's not an uh, insane term at all, like pretty short. Um, we're, you know, in his prime, 15 million a year, less than he would have made on the franchise tag. What are your thoughts on the Carlton Davis deal? Yeah, it was totally unexpected on my end. Um, I, for some reason, I kept seeing him in an Eagles jersey, but maybe that's just because the Eagles love to run zone. You know, that like that, that would have been the perfect fit for him. Mm. Um, I mean, Tampa Bay is still a good fit, but in regard to just what a defense wants to do, Philadelphia would have been the perfect fit for him. Plus, they got the cap space. Um, I looked it up. Darius Slay is out of there in two years, so they could have given him a four- or five-year deal, minimized the cap hit on the front two uh, years of the deal. And then when Slay is gone in 2024, um, you know that's whenever Carlton's real numbers could have kicked in in terms of salary cap, so on and so forth. But anyway, it's it's a big surprise. Um you know, and I'm not putting them on blast or anything like that. But Joe Buck's fan said a couple days ago that he was going to have a deal in place with his other team by this morning, uh, or they said early Monday, which I would assume is you know in the morning time. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's just all kinds of different aspects that went into play, but it was definitely a surprise, and I'm okay with the price. Obviously, we need to see how the actual contract breaks down instead of just a three forty five. But, you know, in terms of just off the bat, on ter- in terms of surface level, yeah, you got to like the price. I mean, $15 million, like you said, it would have been underneath the franchise tag. And then plus, I was thinking probably around $16 million a year for him. So it was a good deal. And they didn't have to commit to him for like five years or something, like three years. I kind of like yeah. the tidiness of that. That's short term. Like we're going to have him in his prime years. Obviously, well, the familiarity with the system is nice with Todd Bowles. Having him and Leftwich coming back all of a sudden feels like an extra blessing just for continuity, right, for both sides of the ball. 100%. And the key thing was is if they did franchise him or even if they didn't bring him back this year, you would have been going into 2022 with Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean, 
and Mike Edwards all entering the last years of their deal. And then in 2023, Antoine Winfield Jr. would be in the last year of his deal. So you're talking about now this is all, you know, assuming Jordan Whitehead doesn't come back um, as well as Carlton. But if you would have franchised Carlton or not given him anything, you could have possibly facing four out of your top five defensive backs going into a contract year in 2023. And I mean, I know the NFL is all about bravado. It's all about confidence. You know, we're, we're never going to let, you know, our guard down. But there is no way you could convince me that Tampa Bay would feel comfortable doing that going into next or going into this year or next year. Yeah. I, I think that I think the Carlton Davis domino here is just massive. Um, he's the leader. He's the leader amongst those cornerbacks. And, uh, you know, of course, Antoine Winfield kind of has earned the reputation as being a leader. But Carlton's the one who's been there and been performing um, for several years very consistently. The interceptions aren't there, but I think they're going to come. I think, uh, you know, his pass breakup numbers are like tops in the league. So, right. He's getting his hands on the ball at the end of the day. Yeah. You want the interceptions. And it, I think it kind of compounds the situation whenever you look at Jamel Dean. He's great, but he also has hands of stone. I mean, I'll never forget him dropping the Rams interception back in, you know, week three. Oh, my God, that was that was so bad. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that Jamel Dean's health and then uh, Sean Murphy Bunting's inconsistency, you know, it left the Bucks in a spot where even though they didn't get the deal done till later this afternoon, they had to get – I'm just if they would have gone into 2022 with Jamel and Sean Murphy Bunting, no disrespect to those two guys, because obviously they're in the NFL, they're second and third round picks. You know, they 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 are guys. They are solid players. I'm obviously just some some ginger who's over here talking about football. Um, But like you just you can't sit there and convince people especially opposing offenses that those two guys could have carried the load, especially with Jordan Whitehead's future in the, in the, um, in question. So yeah, man, it it was almost a deal they had to get done, but at the same time, I'm still pretty surprised they got it done. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. And I totally agree. Um, and I, you know, I like Jamel Dean. I I'm, you know, Sean Murphy bunting, I won't discuss. I'm hoping he can settle into a nickel, primarily a nickel role to like, find some footing there, as you mentioned, a right. little bit inconsistent, but he certainly got talent and he's, he's at least got some ball skills himself. He, um, but you know, you, two of my favorite gingers, you and Ryan Jensen, we got, we got the, the big ginger locked up for three more years at 13 million a year. There were lots of talks of him aspiring to reset the market. Um, and, and really a lot of astronomical numbers being thrown out there. $13 million for three years. I personally think that is a little below what he could have received elsewhere. And it seemed like he was really quick to hitch his, uh, hitch his wagon to, to Tom Brady's pirate ship or whatever we want to call it in this, this scenario uh, once he decided to come back. So what are your thoughts on the Jensen deal, Evan? Do you like it? Do you think the, the market value is it's a reasonable, I don't want to say a deal, but, but a good decision by the Buccaneers to bring him back at that number? Oh, definitely. And a lot of it is because of the center quarterback relationship, the continuity that you want to keep there. If Tom Brady doesn't come back, then it's perfectly understandable if the Bucks want to run with Robert Hainsey this year. And this is all hypothetical, obviously. This, this doesn't matter anymore. But just, you know, just to lay the groundwork to put context into the situation, it would have made complete sense if they went with Robert Hainsey in order to develop that center quarterback relationship with a Blaine Gabbert or with a Kyle Trask, who we possibly would have been looking at as the future of this franchise coming in 2022 before 
Brady announced his return. Uh, so it has everything to do with Tom Brady. And no, the deal is not a bad deal at all because uh, Ryan Jensen is coming off his first Pro Bowl ever in his career. He is widely considered to be the best center in the NFL. So why the hell doesn't he deserve a raise? You know, like it's yeah. like what I was saying with Indomitian and Sue last year was Sue had his best year, even though 2019 was a solid year. He had his best year in like five or six years with the Bucks in 2020. And a lot of people want him to come back for six, seven million dollars a year. And, and it's like, no, man, he why would these guys first off just to take into the overall aspect of an NFL player's career? They need to get their money as fast as possible. Exactly. As we all know, it stands for not for long. Yeah. Um, why the hell would he take? less money when he had a better year and that's exactly with ryan jensen yes he's 31 yes it's likely we're going to experience some pains in terms of injury and stuff like that over the next couple of years but he's still one of the nfl's best centers you can't you can't base your philosophy off of injury like now granted if a dude's torn his acl four years in a row sure you know that's understandable but you can't base who you pick and choose in terms of your roster construction based off of injury projections so yeah i mean it's a totally reasonable deal and i'm glad he's back because like i said he is one of the best centers in the league if not the best center and it's it's a major major improvement especially when you consider the fact that ali marpet is not going to be on his left side and now alex kalpa maybe i mean no, I shouldn't say maybe. More than likely, won't be on his right side as well. Um, yeah, I think it just feel like Jensen is—he's the anchor of that offensive line right in the middle, in front of Tom Brady, and he's just got that mentality. Him and Sue is a great yeah. comparison there on opposite sides of the ball. Yeah, they both yeah. Have, they have that vicious demeanor, you know, that they bring that nasty, and they are both very durable. If that is something you want to put any stock into. Yeah, I'm not a big like cliche guy but they're both those guys are both tone setters on either side of the ball like if you watch if you actually watch the Bucks play you see how much Jensen means and um obviously the relationship with Brady is is apparently second to none right so just massive and there's a lot of I I've read a few things about Jensen to the Browns potentially um so anyway just keeping him seems like just a massive cherry on top of the whole Brady coming back, you know, cake kind of thing, right? So yeah, and I mean, just like whenever they're they're uh, calling out their protections, you know, Brady's doing his thing, you know, forty three is the mic, whatever, all that stuff. He and Jensen know exactly what each other's saying. Mm-hmm. So whenever Jensen shifts the protections, or if Brady shifts the protections to a certain side, they both are on the same page. I mean, yeah, Jensen every t- every now and then has some pretty bad snaps that I'm pretty sure, you know, pisses off the coaching staff and Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, if that's your worst flaw as a center, as long as you're not doing it, you know, every single game, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. then, you know, I'll take that all day long. So it's just – it's absolutely paramount to keep – the offensive uh, – even with all the injuries last year, the offensive line until Tristan Wirfs got hurt was the glue that kept the offense together. And then, obviously, once Tristan Wirfs went out, we all saw what happened after that. Now, granted, you were facing a very good pass rush in the Eagles, despite their overall numbers. You still had uh, Josh Sweat, Fletcher Cox, you know, Javon Hargrave. You got all these just studs lined up on the Eagles' defensive line. But then you go up against the Rams the next week. So, yeah, yeah I mean, obviously, you face a lot dip- higher caliber of a defensive line, front seven. So that had a lot of stuff to do with it. But I mean, up until Tristan Wirfs went out, this offensive line is what kept them in games. I mean, it's just that simple. Even Cyril Grayson, 
showed it on his game-winning touchdown against the Jets, just Brady's pocket on that play. And whenever you can give a guy like Tom Brady that much space and that much of a pocket to work with, it's money all day, man. You know, that's so funny you brought that up, Evan, because I swear to God that, you know, that Twitter still or that still frame came up on Twitter so often about how good the pocket was. But the Jets are wearing their green uniforms. And I'm like, I think they only rushed three guys. I don't think this is so impressive. But then I recounted. And I think there actually were, it was a four man rush. So the fact that they had pancaked everyone and then Brady was just playing seven on seven football. I was like, okay. Good, Scott. Finally, for once, you didn't uh, just speak out and say exactly what you feel and took the extra five seconds necessary. So, yeah, but that was a yeah a perfect um, perfect example of how, how good that line can play. And, um, yeah, what a finish. Yeah, and if you, if, you, if you look real closely, I think it's like on the right-hand side of the offensive line where Kappa would have been, you can see a guy like trying to loop around right there. At the left. So, you like, you got to kind of – you almost got to kind of like splice it. But, yeah, you can see it's a four-man rush. But it does yeah. look like a three-man rush. Yeah, game. yeah. So I want to shift our attention now while we have you with us, Evan, to um, what Jason Light and the Buccaneers, you know, Mike Greenberg and Jackie Davidson and that whole team, what what their top priorities are now and what you think their top priorities should be. So obviously we don't actually know what their priorities are, but um, the the big names that I think everyone has in a different order in terms of what who the Buccaneers should look to re-sign is between Jordan Whitehead and Dominican Sue, Rob Gronkowski. And Leonard Fournette. I'm curious who you think who you think is most important out of that group, and and why. Rob Gronkowski and Leonard Fournette, just because they know how to pass protect. Uh, obviously, Rob Gronkowski is huge in terms of the run game and in terms of pass blocking from time to time when they need that quote unquote extra offensive lineman when they don't literally have six offensive linemen you know out on the field at once. Um, and then Leonard Fournette has proven himself to be a true three down back last year. Yeah. That's the reason why. You know, week eight or nine, people are sitting there asking. I even did it myself. You know, why is Leonard out there on third? Why is he getting a pass target, blah, blah, blah? Well, it's because he developed into a true three-down back. And if Tom Brady is your quarterback, the number one thing you need to do is protect his ass because you ain't going nowhere with it or without him if he gets hurt. And then second off, you need to give him weapons. So Gronk takes care of both of those. Leonard does as well to a certain extent, takes care of both of those. Obviously, he's not as good as a pass blocker as Rob. Obviously, he's not as dynamic as Rob with the ball in his hands when he's catching a pass. You know, I obviously have never seen Gronkowski take the handoff, so I'll just keep it to that. But um, it it comes to those two guys first, and then when it comes down to Sue or Whitehead, that is so tough because Whitehead – and Sue, at the same time, he does this as well, but they, they both bring more than just productive play on the field. Both are such great fits for this defense. Both roles are so important for this defense. If you're putting a gun to my head and I'm choosing between the two, I'm going to go Sue just because – and I usually hate this saying even though I agree with it for the most part, but availability is the best of the ability. And based off of Whitehead's size, his recent injury history – is that a sign of things to come? His body breaking down just because of his play style, his role, how he does things, his body size, or was it just a result of playing the most physical contact sport in the entire world? Yeah. Either way, Sue has not gone through that, and he's had he hasn't had a, a six sacks in back to back years since 2014 and 2015. So he's playing some, and I'm not just basing off sacks. Obviously, he's a good run defender as well. But, I mean, he's having some of the best years of his career in, like, an eight-year span. So, 
between the two, at the end of the day, I'm going Sue just slightly over Whitehead. Wow, well done. Wow, you justified those takes really well. I am like so enamored with Jordan Whitehead, obviously how he finished the season, just really kind of showing on a more consistent basis the electrifying ability he has, really. Like certainly serviceable in coverage, but arguably the best run defending safety in football. I mean, like I, I said last week on the show, he's like what what the Seahawks traded for, or what, what they wanted from Jamal Adams in a way. Like he's 100%. he's vicious. But but again, that's part of what why he's putting his body at risk. I mean, we saw it, you know, in the NFC Championship versus the Packers when he tore his labrum or whatever. Like, um, so you're right. There's definitely more of an injury risk there. Also worth considering, though, him being so much younger. This is his first time to try and cash in. Right. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe we just keep kicking the can. Maybe we do our best Saints and we bring them all back, Evan. Well, hey, when Tom Bray's your quarterback, I don't give a damn about yeah. that. And I know y'all, I know y'all see me on Twitter and stuff like that. And what I was saying about Deshaun Watson over the last few days. And the biggest, the biggest factor, and it's a huge factor though, is Deshaun Watson is not Tom Brady. I don't, I don't care who, what you try to sell me on. I don't care what you try to say. He is not Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady, no matter how bad the Texans defense was in 2020 has never gone four and 12 in his life. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't care what the stats are on Deshaun's Watson on Deshaun Watson's season that year. Like Brady is a proven thing. No matter what is going on around him, he's going to find ways to produce and he's going to find ways to raise the game of everybody around him. I don't know if Deshaun Watson can do that. I haven't watched enough Texans football. That's the primary reason that I don't know. But at the same time, you know, we just haven't seen it in terms of a general landscape, uh, NFL landscape vantage point. So, but yeah, Brady gets the benefit of the doubt, deservedly so, in all of those, you know, hypotheticals in any situation. We've seen it. And it's not like we've seen it a couple times. We've seen it for 20 seasons here, right? Like he's, he's just a floor raiser. He, he basically equals a playoff spot, right? That more like that's, that's, like look at his career that that's what happens and um you know with him the bucks are the runaway nfc sales favorite running into this or going into the season uh i think you would put them on a tier with the with the uh with the packers again at the top of the conference and then boom you know the afc it's it's become quite split uh between like the power dynamic between the afc and the nfc and brady realizes this and they can get back to the suit. Like they can get back to a Super Bowl here. And I know, sorry, I'm, I guess I'm discounting the Rams a bit, a little bit ridiculous. They did just win the thing, but um, they're right there. They could have beaten them too. So. Oh, easily could have beaten them. And yeah. if you just look at Vegas since yesterday, the bucks were like mid pack, I think plus 2,400 to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. After Brady returned, they're now co-favorites with the yeah. bills. I mean, like that right there just tells you, how much Tom Brady means to a roster. So yeah. kick the damn can down the road, Jason. Don't go too crazy. And I know right now, just sitting here as we're talking, it's kind of hard to define to find, but it's kind of hard to define what too crazy is. Mm -hmm. But I'm okay with them pushing money down the road. If he's our quarterback, then we're good to go, man. And I'm okay with that. I I think anything involving Blaine Gabbert is probably too crazy. I think that's a good uh just a good starter <laughs> right. in general. It's it's unbelievable to think that the like we were having, I was having debates on Twitter about Blaine Gabbert being a better option than Gardner Minshew. Like, yeah, 
just you like a week I, ago <laughs> right like it's crazy and then as cm walter 10 says tb12 said psych uh and that's bang on like that's ultimately what happened it kind of felt like a, a you know when like you have like an awesome dream and then you wake right. up and you're like you're like shit like or, or like up. you wake like, up like right when it's getting to the best part like yeah. we've all we've all had the dream of the hot girl we're like we're about to kiss her or something then like the radio goes off you like just wake up like, yeah yeah awesome. yeah <laughs> <laughs> And like, so this is like waking up from that amazing dream that felt too good to be true. But for one time, and then you have the whole day, then you go back to bed and you're like, I want that dream back, but it's never happened before. Exactly. You go, yeah. And it happens. You get the dream back and it finishes. Just now, at least we have, we can have some closure. Like everyone's expectations will be, this will be the final year. It just felt a little too abrupt. And I was, I was asked whether I was, was so, I really, bro, did, he come, did he say that? Did he come out and say the final year? I no, would think he's I, year to year at this point. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Right. I just didn't know if I missed it. No, no, right. no, no, no. Yeah. You know, but, obviously, if you were to say it's his final year, we'd have to take him for his word. You know, I, I don't think he's going to dabble with that anymore. No, yeah, I don't think yeah. he's going to like do a little, eh, no, no, I, not quite. Yeah. I think, I think the year he comes out and throws like 22 interceptions or 22 interceptions, 22 touchdowns and like 12 interceptions. I think that's the year where, because you know he's always said, "I want to play till I till I suck," essentially. Yeah. yeah. And and then all of a sudden this year the family thing got thrown into, which you know is completely understandable. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, yeah, I think until we see him not roasting Jalen Ramsey on a deep ball to Mike Evans, a perfectly placed deep ball that would have been his last you know touchdown pass of his career. I think the moment where he releases it and you know, it's like Drew Brees and it just kind of flutters down the field, yeah. I think that's when we'll really start to see him, you know, be like, okay, I need to stop. Yeah. And it, just, I mean, it also didn't feel right just because of the way that, that all the turmoil, especially from an injury perspective, and, you know, throw in the AB bullshit that the Buccaneers dealt with last year. Like that just wasn't even the team at all. Like they had so many blows. Um, and they still managed to to lose, you know, like a game like that to the eventual Super Bowl champion. Just I, I assume that's what he's referring to with unfinished business, meaning with this core group, what they could achieve. Yeah. And also, I'll just this problem. I mean, he's not driven by this, but he should have won the MVP. I'll say yeah. it like 100%. I couldn't. I we we talked about it a couple of times late in the season, Evan, going over, um, you know, uh, MVP odds. And it was like startling how much of a favorite Rogers was with two or three weeks left in the season, considering very comparable records, very comparable numbers, you know, uh, like stats actually between the two quarterbacks. And I just remember call, like it was just really like, this is a runaway. Cause it seems to me like a, a total coin flip at that point, but it, had, it I guess it had already been determined for Rogers, but yeah, just like, Either way, he's coming back at an MVP level, right? So, I have yeah. two quick. I have two quick takes on both of those topics, and I'll start with Rogers. The first one is so my definition of MVP has always been, you know, who who it shouldn't be just stats. It should be is this team the same without this player? And I think yeah. you could make. I think you could make an argument for both the Packers and the Bucks that neither one of them even sniffs 13 wins much less the playoffs without one of those two guys or without both of them sorry as for their sure, quarterback for sure 
I think the that point got inflated because we actually saw it with Rodgers missing a game or two games and Jordan Love coming in and you know mm-hmm. I think the the Chiefs beat him like 17 to 3 in that week or something wherever whereas we never saw Brady but at the same time what makes you value, valuable is your availability mm-hmm. so that should have offset it um at the same time I think there's some Brady fatigue around the league, which obviously 22 seasons will do that to you, yeah, you know, great, yeah. all that other stuff. Um, but at the same time, going back to the previous point about, you know, people whispering about all this stuff about the, the year and all the turmoil and how it had an effect on Brady. This team went through all these injuries last year, finished tied for the best record in the NFL. Yeah. were a blown coverage away or, a bad call if you want to if you want to say that because i agree at the end of the day it was a bad call but from possibly beating the rams the eventual eventual super bowl champions but yet the media is still pushing this narrative of is brady really coming back to the bucks blah 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 blah. and i love peter schrager good morning football nfl network that guy i'm pretty sure everybody knows who he is or most people know who he is but even this morning he had the dumbest point he was sitting there i don't know if y'all watched it but um, NFL Network this morning, he was literally sitting there saying this was his point. This is why he feels like there is friction between the Bucks and Brady that needs to be resolved or we might see it get resolved over the coming weeks or months, whatever. He literally said this. He goes, yeah, at the end of last year, the Bucks weren't all as happy as they were before. Well, like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. of course they're not. They just lost yeah. on a last-second play to the Rams in the divisional round, and you're comparing them to winning the Super Bowl the year before. Like, no, they're not going to be like, yeah, we just came back, but we lost to the Rams with five seconds left on the clock. It, compared to this – I mean, like, what are you even talking about? Like, it almost feels like the national media, as much as I would love to be a part of it – you know, like, don't get me wrong, I've got aspirations, all that stuff mm. – but it almost seems like they – want this to end between tampa bay and brady and it's almost gross to this point that's, like it's just nasty super strange that's a really it's so weird, weird. yeah scott it's so weird man. i don't know if you saw scott pioli on the nfl network yes but like, it was bad yes when the, when the news broke he's like he's like oh yeah oh. I, assume, I assume he's probably gonna get traded more or less like that's what he's saying <laughs> i'm like what are you saying he literally just said in the in the message to return to tampa bay you got giselle saying go bucks like He's already been on the phone with Ryan Jensen and got him back. Like, just cut cut that. Stop it. Now it's done. It's, but I kind of enjoy it at this point. Like, let them have their fun. I'm, I expect better of Shrags, though. You're right. Shrags is, is good generally. Yeah. So that was yeah when, when I heard him saying that this morning, and I'm not trying to put him on blast or anything, but I was just like, dude, you, you're, you're usually pretty well-rounded in your opinions. You know, you're usually, you know, on point for the most part. But, yeah, I just don't understand how you can sit there and base that off logic. I, it just it blows my mind. Yeah, but uh, yeah, like if he's trying, if he's trying to get the point across that there's like, there was more internal strife or something this year compared to last. Well, okay, yeah, you had Antonio Brown go nuts, um, a bunch of people get hurt, and you lost a home playoff game that you, that you both gacked away early and still had a chance to win. Like so, yeah, it's just different. I don't know. How you can say it's worse. That's that's super strange. Like he seems to. Um, I don't know, be pretty objective and, and people definitely respect what he says. That's just like a more of an odd thing to like, quote unquote, report, you know, like I don't right. get where he's even coming for what the point is, but 
whatever. People say insane stuff all the time. Look at the selection committee, like trying to justify how they how they uh, seed teams. So just yeah. As a Tennessee Vols fan, I completely understand that. So yeah. Criminal. <laughs> Criminal on the three line. You got to be kidding me, Tennessee. Top, top five team, but they're a three seed. Yeah, yeah okay. that, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, better than being an A and M fan, though. Uh, well, it just show that those games didn't matter on Sunday. You kidding me? Like right. nobody had anyway. We don't. We can discuss <laughs> seeding later. We can discuss the bracket. Yeah, but um, seriously, super weird. So Evan, while while I have you here, you've been extremely generous with your time. But I do like, you know, me, I love the NFL draft. And last year, a lot of our picks were devoted to special teams. I saw you had a tweet that sparked some some debate today. Just a um, bit. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. But I, I, I totally got what you were saying, man, with that. Um, but I'm curious what you think. And I know like what happens with free agency will obviously predetermine what like positional needs uh, will be the most glaring come April 28th. However, are there some names that particularly with the 27th overall pick, their first pick, or even first or second round as well, some names that jump out at you that you think have a realistic chance of being there and potentially satisfying a positional need or being a guy that could help the Buccaneers in year one? Yeah, for sure. Zion Johnson is the first name that comes to mind. I do think he will get picked before 27, but there is definitely a chance that he can get there to 27. Um, and then Andrew Booth, uh, it all depends on what happens at his pro day. But right now, just the fact that he did not work out in the combine, I think that obviously plays in the Buccaneers' favor. Now, obviously, if he blows up his pro day, so on and so forth, that remains to be seen. And that will obviously change things. Um, not necessarily at 27, but in the second round, I like Perry and Winfrey out of Oklahoma. You know, I mean, Bruce Arians has said that the one thing we need in terms of help on, on defense is interior quickness and interior pass rush. And I completely agree with that. Obviously, when the Bucks rushed four guys last year and dropped eight – or, sorry, dropped seven. Um, like I said, I'm not good at math. Uh, mm. But but you could tell it just wasn't the same as when Bowles blitzed. And maybe if you can get somebody who can provide that oomph in the, in the four-man rush – Todd Bowles might not feel like he has to blitz on, you know, first and 10 against the Rams like he did that ended the season. So, uh, Evan, Todd Bowles just heard that and he just sent a to blitz towards yeah, you. Right. It's five so, times, actually. He yeah, just sent yeah, five yeah, blitz. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to do a, a couple more downs during this pod. Just, yeah. yeah. But at this point, anything that gives him pause, you know, like just yeah. if he gets the wheels moving, then that obviously helps the process. So whatever the, the end result, sure. It, it is what it is, but as long as the process is sound. So mm-hmm. um, those are, those are probably the three guys though, that, that stick out in my mind in terms of help in those rounds. Now, if you want to talk about offensive side of the ball, I've got Christian Watson. I love that dude. He looks almost like the second coming of Mike Evans, but faster as crazy as that sounds. And then I really, really like uh, – I'm drawing a blank right now, but the running back um, – with uh, Never mind. I'm drawing a blank, so let's just move on to somebody else. <laughs> but then the tight end out of Wisconsin, Jake Ferguson. I like wow. him kind of like in, you know, a third or fourth round type deal because right now Cameron Braid's the only tight end on this roster. Granted, Gronk is probably going to come back, and that will obviously take care of a lot of stuff. But at the same time, don't know how healthy he's going to be throughout the year. Uh, so I definitely think they need to look at uh, a tight end in this draft. And I, I like Jake Ferguson a lot, especially as a mid-round pick. 
it, it's the, funny. The that, I'm sorry, Connor. I was just gonna say, we were, or Evan, we were talking before. Just these these free agent signings and Brady and everything just completely changes the whole draft 100%. trajectory in a lot of ways. Hey, eh, Con, like I'm sure you've had people circled, and it's like, okay, yeah, we don't we don't need that anymore, and we and we can look somewhere else. And um, yeah, that, that's fast. Those are a couple great names. Yeah, that Watson, North Dakota State, like what goes on how are they so good it's incredible right i, I liken it to like the era of the 60s and 70s music where you know people had nothing better to do than just sit around and play instruments so yeah. that's how they got so good well yeah. you live in north dakota you don't really have anything better to do no, than no. go out and play football and run routes and on yeah. the block and all that stuff so that, that's what i like in it yeah like. that makes sense I, uh, I really like the names that you threw out there. I think those three positions as well, interior offensive line, a tackle, like a D tackle or a cornerback would be the ideal spots, depending how they shoot off. Like it would be a, amazing if Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson is there. I mean, that just seems like a gift. Um, and the same would, that would be the case for Zion Johnson, like you mentioned. I mean, Kenyon Green probably going to go off the like board him. before Zion Johnson, maybe. I like like him, You know, those, those two guards are, are really in a class of their own. And even um, even Kair Elam out of Florida, you know, I did some research on him. He's got the size, he's got the length, he can play both man and zone. And honestly, I think, and I, I actually wrote this for A to Z Sports um, when we first rolled out the new sites a couple weeks ago. But if you go back and look at the numbers, and this is all based off of Sports Info Solutions, which is a great website, great advanced analytical site, blah 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 blah. But they've got team tendency reports where it shows you, you know, what formations are ran the most when it comes to the bucks like all of a sudden i wish i could share my screen right now i'd pull it up and all that other good stuff but either way uh one of the tendency reports on the buccaneers is how much zone to man coverage they play and if you go look back and look at the splits from weeks one to ten in 2019 todd bowles ran's uh man coverage at like the sixth or seventh highest rate in the nfl and obviously in 2019, that's when the secondary struggled a lot was first those first eight to 10 weeks in the in, you know, in Todd Bowles' new system. Well, based on the back six, seven games of that season, he ended up running like the 12th highest zone percentage and his man percentage dropped off to like 20th in the NFL, somewhere in those. I'm just giving not abstract numbers, but roundabout numbers. Yeah. And ever since then. Tampa Bay has been above average when it comes to running zone defenses. So I think Todd Bowles, and if you look at Carlton Davis's numbers, it will show you there is he is a much better zone corner than he is a man corner despite his length, all this other stuff. So I think what Todd Bowles realized is, is his traditional man uh, scheme in terms of press, in terms of what the secondary does, is not suited for this. So like a good coach, and like he's always said, he adjusted, he put his play, player, players in better position to win or make plays rather, uh, he switched to zone. So getting a true man guy like a career Elam, even a Shavarius Ward, who's obviously out of the picture now, but in case Carlton didn't come back, and obviously with Carlton's return, this complicates things. But I feel like getting a guy like an Elam can maybe – get bowls back to that man coverage scheme that won him the assistant coach of the year in 2014. That's just a quick thought on my end, but it's going to be interesting to see how they play that moving forward. And Elam's got that, like he's like six, two, I think like, or at least he's, yeah, he's six. One. He's at least six, one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. 
you know, that's that's Jason Light's MO. Like he's not drafting a corner after the Hargraves experiment who's under six foot. That's for damn sure. <laughs> and Elam ran a lot faster than people expected to at his pro day with a sub four four. So I mean, we've talked a lot about the numbers at the combine though. Really curious to see how those 40 times check out at pro days and such. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of Perion Winfrey, I mean, I like what you're saying about because he's more of like a pass rushing tackle, right? Would you say like that's more definitely. his strength, like a speed guy? Yeah, um, definitely. And that and that's where his run defense could hold him back because you know Bowles has always said, even though it's not a true two gap scheme when it comes to the three four defense and it's a single gap scheme, he still wants his guys to be primarily run defenders. So, but at the same time in this NFL. And granted, you know, Tampa Bay plays with a lot of light boxes. That's one reason why they can. That's why I mean, the Rams do it. That's one reason why they can, because they run the gap and a half, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. They know that their guys are taking care of business up front. Therefore, they can have it lighter in the second and third levels of the defense. Um, but at the same time, the way the NFL is trending, you know, you got to kind of wait. You got to kind of move away from those just space eaters, so on and so forth. But, but to your point, yeah, I mean, if they want to, if they want to pass on Winfrey, it will be because he struggles in run defense for sure. Or maybe it'll be because Bowles doesn't like his coverage skills. <laughs> <laughs> right? We know he likes to drop everyone. Everybody, everybody. Drop you, you better, you better get your damn feet down, man. Your drop back. It don't, it doesn't matter if you weigh three hundred forty-seven pounds like Vita Vey. You better get your shit down straight. <laughs> exactly. Now the other name that I had initially in my in my first mock Buccaneers mock draft that I did for NFL Draft Lounge, I had Devontae Wyatt um available oh, yeah. at 27. I would love that personally. He's a nice combination of like can stuff the run and and rush the passer. I'm not so sure he's gonna be around though at 27. Right. Um, right. you know, similar to Zion Johnson and Kenyon Kareen. Like of those three guys, if one of them was there or booth, as you mentioned, that would just be run that run that pick yourself to Goodell. Kind of, the, kind of the nice part about picking so late in the first round is you're freed up to really just zero in on who you truly like, right? right? And who right. who you want, you know what I mean? You're not getting pressures like, oh, we have this guy as the 33rd best prospect, or you know what? I mean? Like it's it's less of that towards the end of the first round. Now, front offices still get killed on the binary. Okay, a first round pick was supposed to do this versus a second round pick, even though you know the difference between the 30 31st pick and the 35th pick isn't that much, but still it's nice to have that late first round pick zero in on a couple guys and just get who you really want, get who you think can help. And uh, I mean, they're going to do that. They, these guys are like all these guys you've listed are interesting, right? It, it's yeah. kind of cool. Not knowing exactly who they're going to go with. Yeah. Jason light. Sorry. Right. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and Scott, to that point, like Jason Light has never been fearful of going off the board. Like you could try to project maybe in the first in the first round, like like I nailed try on Choyinka, just trying at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but years previous, he will reach way off the board like he goes by his own board. Um, and sorry, Evan, to your point, too, like I believe I think Perion Winfrey was the MVP of the senior bowl, maybe. Yep. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Yep. So we we also know in terms of Light's draft strat uh, tendencies, like he always falls in love with guys at the Senior Bowl. So you know, there's a lot there, and I think if he if they love Perion Winfrey, they could take him in the first. Like he's not going to wait around to the end of the second if he doesn't think he'll be there. Another guy who who comes to mind is a bit more of a load um, is is uh, Travis Jones out of UConn. Yes, he's good. Um, he, he and he's another guy who performed extremely well at the Senior Bowl. So just another name to keep your eye on. But Jason Light, when you break it down, man, 
of, of course, he'll, he'll go off the board, like I mentioned, but he's also got a pretty sparkling resume in terms of batting a lot better than 500 on a lot of these prospects. So he's going to need to find that magic again this year because last year felt like they were, it was just like felt too gravy almost. Like they were just going with special teams or mm-hmm. taking a shot on guys. So I'm hoping this year they're prioritizing players who they hope can help them immediately because I think they're going to need to fill a few holes and inject some youth into this roster. Yeah, and that's that leads into what my point was about the tweet we were talking about earlier is, you know, last year they drafted players that aren't going to see the field just based off of their position. Yeah. If Tom Brady is your quarterback, nobody else is seeing the field unless yeah. it's garbage time. Yeah. If Ryan Jensen is your starting center, nobody else is seeing the field. You don't rotate centers in and out. So, like, it's hard to see where Robert Hainsey and Kyle Trask fit into the Bucks' future plans as long as these two guys are around. And Ryan Jensen just signed a three-year deal. Well, guess how many years Robert Hainsey has left on his contract? Three years. So, I mean, like, and without Ali Marpet as your emergency backup center, which is what Bruce Arians called him himself last year, why would you not keep Robert Hainsey at guard or sorry at center right now? I mean, because if you have no clear plan as a backup, then he needs to stay there. Yes, he's probably going to get a chance or not. He's not probably. He's going to get a chance to compete at guard. But if Jensen goes down, you're going to now shift Hainsey to center, and now you need somebody to step up at guard. So why not just sign another damn guard? and keep Hainsey at center, but either way, I'm not a football coach, I'm not a GM, so on and so forth, so that's probably some next-level thinking that I'm just not aware of. However, yeah, like when you look at all these players, and who knows now at this point, JPP might be back in the fold. I hope he's not, with all due respect. I hope he's not, because this is exactly why the Bucks drafted JTS last year. But if he comes back in the fold, then all of a sudden <laughs> – I mean, you know, like yeah. what the hell's going on with last year's draft class? And you're absolutely right, Colin. They they need to pick guys who are not only going to be a, that are not like not only going to make an impact, but also are going to find the time to make an impact. You need to draft positions that you can rotate in and out because the Bucks do need fresh blood at the end of the day, like Jason Light said at the combine. And at the end of the line, like you said, JTS, like please God, like they cannot bring back JPP. I love him. I, I'm He's right there with you. It's been a warrior for us, but I don't know anyone who follows the team who's asking for more JPP. I don't care how many surgeries he does. Let's just amicably part ways. Mm-hmm. You know, legendary always helped us win a Super Bowl. He's a part of yeah. that team. Let's Change give the range culture, to ATS. All that stuff. Yeah, he did, it was great. But we got enough. We we got Tom Brady. We could have Tom Brady and a bunch of circus clowns from a culture perspective, or like convicts. Like it wouldn't matter. We got TB12 under center. People are going to respect the culture. Um, but yeah. That D-line, that interior D-line, I'm super curious what they do with Sue and William Golston. I love William Golston. I'd love for him to be back on an affordable deal because he is one of the more underrated players, and he's so pretty much longest-serving Buccaneer, I think. Like, um, uh, No, Levante came in one year before him. Levante was right. 2012. He was 2013. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but he's so underrated. And, honestly, I was kind of surprised that we didn't see him get re-signed today. So, honestly, it's kind of like the whole thing going on with Taron Armstead right now, the Saints' left tackle. You figure the top left tackle, not not just some tackle, the top left tackle who's going who's gonna to protect most quarterbacks' blind side unless you're Tua Tagovailoa. Um, 
you figured he would have gotten a deal today, but it's possible the Saints are working something out with him in the in the background. Hopefully that's the case with Golston and the Bucks. But at the same time, Golston's not tearing Armstead in terms of his uh, in terms of his position and his positional ranking. So you got to wonder if there's something else going on. If maybe he's poking his nose around, and good for him, he deserves it. Career and a half, you know, career high four and a half sacks last year. Like we said, underrated underrated run defender, just underrated defender in totality. But um, I was really surprised to see that he did not resign today. My initial reaction, and hopefully it's true, but with my resume of reactions and predictions, it's probably not. But, you know, he's he's got to be towards the bottom of, like, some of these names they're working on right now. And they've probably been like, hang tight, hang tight, Golston. We'll get to you, buddy, maybe. And they've like, a, yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, because you can only talk to so many, negotiate with so many guys. And, and the ones we mentioned off the top of the show, you know, Whitehead, Lenny, um, Gronk, etc. Maybe just occupying um, Buccaneers time at the moment. And just to, just to play devil's advocate on that. The only thing I would say is, and like I said, this isn't this doesn't necessarily follow my line of thinking. I'm just playing devil's advocate. But I would kind of like to have the bottom guys secured. That way, I know how much I can spend in terms of the top guys. I, because you know, like you're filling the roster 53 to 90 players. Obviously, the top 51 only count right now. But I would like to go ahead and have that bottom. Like, I would hate to spend all this money at the top and not have room for the bottom, as if that makes any sense. Um, I can understand why people would poke holes in that, but I would rather wrap up those bottom depth guys so I can know who I can target in terms of a premium target, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and if you're dealing with, like, you know, you, you spend all your money on your big-name guys and it was just a matter of, like, you being one million short, well, that matters to those guys on those mm -hmm. cheaper deals where if you've already mm -hmm. sorted them out, there's a little more leeway to negotiate in terms of, you know, the term and all that stuff with with the big money makers. So we will see. Um had to, had to pick your mind a little bit about the draft, Evan. As mentioned earlier, you've been super generous with your time. Um, writer and editor for A to Z Sports Nashville. Uh, at Evan underscore Winter on Twitter. Tons of good Bucks takes. Um, if you're a fan of the Tennessee Volunteers, he's also got all your info there. Speaking of which, by the way, one name I wanted to get your before as I'm interrupting your your exit here. Um, Matthew Butler is he is he legit like? Um, coming out of Tennessee, because I'm reading good things. I, he, what do we think of Matthew Butler? Man, his ascension from just his entire career up until last year was remarkable. I mean, the dude, I, I think he led the defensive line in sacks with like five, five and a half last year, just going off the top of my head. Um, he was a consistent force. And like I said, just the improvement he showed over the first three years of his collegiate career to the last year, he is definitely a guy to take stock of. He's got the right attitude. He's got the right work ethic. He's not going to be, you know, some diva. Most defensive linemen aren't divas. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just to get that out there, especially in the year of A.B., post, you know, post-A.B. I'm going to start calling, referring to Buck's uh, franchise history as post-A.B., yeah, <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, he's definitely a guy to look out for in the rounds three or four, and he can provide that pass rush that we were just talking about in the interior. I think he's going to take a little bit more time to develop than most of your defensive line prospects. But yes, Matthew Butler is definitely somebody to take uh, to take seriously in this draft. Awesome, I love it, and I got to give you one more shout out because last year, 
I wasn't too happy when you said it, but well before, like on the on the first day of the draft or the early next morning, you said that you were your sources were kind of telling you that Trask was going to be in play, and I was like, no, Evan, tell me you're not telling the truth. Not to be a dick, I'll give Trask his chance, but at the time, that's how I felt. So I even put money on it. So no, yeah, I remember. Right. I remember the conversation. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you you better keep me in the loop this year if you get any rumblings coming your way. All right, man. I'll do it, man. You know for sure. Um. So yeah, thanks so much, Evan. Awesome having you on, dude. Such great insight and knowledge about the Buccaneers and all the all the finute details and all that stuff. So we really appreciate you, man. Of course, Colin Scott. Thank you always for having me on. Awesome, man. Good luck to your balls. Uh, good luck to your balls this March. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, they look like they finally overcome the tournament tournament demons that have plagued them over the last few years. Yeah. Rick Barnes gets hated on. I mean, I, I get it. You know, when he was at Texas, he I think he only got to one Final Four. You know, he's had a couple of disappointing uh, tournaments up here in his time in Knoxville. So I get it to an extent, but I also feel like it's overblown. It's, but it's this, an easy, he's an easy target. Like I right. love when people are like, he can't coach. It's like, well, I mean, you can probably coach a little bit, you know, he's been the doing dude's all, He's going to be in the hall like, of fame. Yeah. yeah. He's going to, he's going to be in the hall of fame. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, this team is well-rounded. They've got an actual post presence for once, uh, a true five in Euros Plavich. So we'll see how it goes. He's been awesome. Vescovy. Um, oh, he's great, man. He's, he's gonna he's make great. every big shot. Those two, those two freshman guards and Ziegler and um, and Chandler can get into yeah, the Chandler, lane at yeah. will. Obviously, I mean, they have a lot of what it takes. Uh, question their outside shooting a little bit to see if they right. can to see if they can win six games. You kind of have to that game where you can't shoot in the tournament. You kind of just have to figure out a way to win. I think they're gonna have to do one of the. They're gonna have to survive one of those to go deep. But their brackets doable. They played Arizona earlier in the year and they beat them. Obviously, that was yeah. at uh, that was in Knoxville. But um, gotta like where they're at. Gotta like where they're at going into this thing. So the key is going to be Josiah Jordan James, which you were just talking about that outside shooting. If he yeah. can, if he can shoot like he did in the SEC tournament, wow. they'll be okay in there. Um, but then, yeah, if they can get that going, but then the offense, man, when that offense falls flat, it falls flat. But the fortunate, the good part is. They have the championship caliber defense to make yep. up for it. Yep. But when they fall flat, they fall flat. So as long as they can uh, avoid that offensive stagnation, you know, for just trying to sound smart, um, as long as they can avoid that, they should be in good shape. Yeah. And I mean, I think Madison Square Garden actually almost shut down after that Tennessee Texas Tech uh, preseason NIT game <laughs> earlier this year I think I think they're still playing and it's 18 to 14 or something like that but um yeah they, they're rounding they're rounding the form and they look good man should be great can't wait yeah. go balls for sure all right well we're all just gonna dip out of here at once at, at this rate so uh I hope you enjoyed uh college basketball banter and if you don't like NCAA basketball especially come this time of year you should because you might find the next Buccaneers tight end or the next great NFL tight end <laughs> Yeah, that's my pitch. Anyway, thanks a lot. We had Evan Winter on the show. Scott Capron, as always. I'm your host, Colin Hallboom. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bucks Banter Cup podcast. We will be back soon. Go Bucks.